Happy Mother's Day. It's, uh, I hope, hope your Mother's Day is going well. Uh, your moms, maybe they, somebody, since you've been, you know, kind of sheltered in place, somebody fixed your breakfast today and maybe had some breakfast in bed. I hope you get to see your family, talk to them. And uh, we're here worshiping the Lord again and, and, and appreciate you being with us, whether it's uh, through your YouTube channel or uh, Facebook or our live stream on our website. We're just, we're glad uh, that you're here. Uh, in the month of May, we're focusing on this prophet whose name is, is Elijah. Uh, in fact, our series is entitled "On the Road with Elijah" because Elijah is like he's always traveling. He's either showing up out of nowhere or he's going somewhere. God sends him off, and he's this iconic, iconic prophet. I mean, he is like the classic prophet of all prophets. And and in this series, we're just seeing his life and his interaction because the, the ministry of, of of the prophet Elijah. It's really this ministry of dealing with the king of Israel, Ahab, and there's just, there's this tension between them, and uh, his story really is found in uh, 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings chapter 2, and uh, last week we were in the 17th chapter on the road to Zarephath, and we have seen that uh, there is only one God, he is the Lord, Yahweh, and uh, he is always in control. And, and today we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 18, to a, a place known as uh, Mount Carmel, uh, to just a fascinating story. And uh, we're going to go through there in a few moments as the message goes on, I'm going to take you through the passage, but on the road to Mount Carmel, here's the thing uh, from this message today that I want you to see, and it's simply this, no one follows God part-time. That's the way it is. You can't, you can't be a part-time follower of God. And we might say you can't be a part-time Christian. Uh, people try, and, and maybe they don't think about it that way. That's kind of how they live. But in the eyes of God, you can never follow God part-time. So as we begin this message today, and we're going to see basically three kind of things that I want you to, to go through and look at. The first is this. I want you to see uh, the confrontation. Because... And this passage is this confrontation, I talked about it last week, between Elijah and Ahab. And this small confrontation really is a reflection of a much bigger confrontation between the one true God, Yahweh, and this non-existent God, Baal. Now, last week's message, I set everything up. And so if you, if you didn't watch the message last week, uh, there's, there's going to be some probably gaps for you here and there's some things you're not going to quite understand and I encourage you at some time to go back and look at that because the first half of the message, the first 15 minutes, I set everything up. So I'm not going to do that again, but I'll, I'll just spend just a moment just kind of summarizing and getting everything where we need to be. We're in the 9th century BC, uh, 874 to about 853 BC is when Ahab was king and that was most of the time of Elijah. He, he lingered on after Ahab just a little bit. And um, Ahab has married this woman Jezebel. His father, uh, Omri, uh, wanted to have an alliance with the, 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 the Sidonians, the Phoenicians. And even though Israel is more powerful than them, uh, the, the Sidonians had a powerful economy, a great economy, and they didn't want to go to war with them. So he arranged this marriage. And so Ahab married Jezebel. Now, the Sidonians, the Phoenicians, worship Baal. There are, Baal is a generic term. It, it means Lord. In the Canaanite religion, there were many different Baals. Different Canaanite groups had different Baals, and the Phoenicians had their own. Uh, but, but Jezebel brought the worship of Baal to the kingdom of Israel. And not only did she bring it, but Jezebel, this evil, wicked woman that we're going to see more about in the weeks ahead, 
she tried to eradicate, she tried to destroy the worship of Yahweh. It just wasn't enough that the people of Israel worship Yahweh, the Lord, and Baal. She wanted to completely remove the worship of Baal. She was this unbelievably evil, wicked woman. Into this scene comes this prophet, Elijah, the prophet of God. And last week we saw him confronting Ahab, and in confronting Ahab, he said there's going to be a drought. God's going to dry up everything. Now, the significance of this is that Baal and, and Canaanite paganism uh, had multiple, multiple gods. And, and Baalism, the problem with Baalism, not only was it just paganism, but it was the type of pagan. It was a grotesque, grotesque religion. Uh, for me to describe it would, would turn a worship service into like an N17 rating, NC17 rating. You can't even describe graphically without just, you know, kind of people blushing and kind of, whoa, we got to turn down the volume to describe how wickedly evil Baalism was. The culmination of Baalism was the sacrificing of children. I mean, they would sacrifice their children to get the attention of Baal. So understand how evil this is. Baal was the god of rain. He was the storm god. He was the god of the heavens, the god of sun, you know, the god of lightning, the fire. He was this powerful god. And so God spoke through Elijah and said, you want to know how powerful this little Baal guy is? He doesn't exist, and he's not powerful at all. And the storm god's so weak and useless that it's not going to rain until I say so. That's kind of the setup for all this. There's going to be a drought for about three and a half years. So we come to chapter 18, and we come to verse 1, and this is what verse 1 says in chapter 18. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So it's, it's the third year. You know, a lot of people wonder, third year of what? Well, probably not the third year of the drought, because it was a three and a half year drought. If you go back to the story of Zarephath, it was probably the third year that he was living there in that widow's house. And the most important thing, though, is this. The word of the Lord has come to Elijah. It's time for God to act. So God is revealing himself to his prophet. This is so important to realize that the prophets functioned. They acted on the revelation of God. They carried out the word of God. They carried out the message of God. And it's time for him to act. Uh, I'm not going to read through verses 2 through 15. I can't read through all of, uh, of chapter, four, uh, chapter 18. In verses 2 through 15, this guy named Obadiah is introduced. Obadiah is a servant of Ahab. And Obadiah and Ahab are going out trying to find food for the horses, for the mules of the king. And they separate. Now, Obadiah is a devout follower of God, a devout worshiper of Yahweh. He's true to the Israelite faith. He has taken a hundred prophets that Jezebel hadn't killed. She's killed thousands of prophets. He's taken a hundred of them and hid them. Hid them in caves. Fifty in one cave, fifty in another. And, and so Jezebel trying to destroy all the prophets. I said thousands, like hundreds of prophets. But probably thousands of people had died in, in her purge. And Obadiah is, is saving them and he's feeding them. And he encounters Elijah. And Elijah says to him, go tell the king I'm coming. There's some conversation, but tell the king I am coming. And so we pick up. Uh, in verse 16. And in verse 16 says this, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now here's King Ahab. He's the king of Israel. He has brought the worship of Baal into the kingdom. Because of that, 
God has said there's going to be a trout. And now he's accusing Elijah of being a troubler. The idea of troubler is the one to cause difficulty, the one to stir things up. He says, Elijah, you've done that. We come to verse 18, and this is what we see Elijah saying. Elijah says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have, notice this, abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah said, look, it is not me who's the troubler, Ahab. You have. Why? Because of two things. You've abandoned, you have forsaken, you have deserted the true worship of Yahweh. Our God, our historic God, the God who revealed himself to Abraham, the God who delivered us from the Egyptians, the God who brought us into the promised land, the God who gave us the law, the God who gave us King David. You have abandoned all of that. Why? To follow after these false, non-existent gods that known as part of Baalism. And the idea of follow them is to go after, is to be committed to, to be worshipped to. In the New Testament, Jesus says, come, follow me. That's what he tells us to do. He said, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and do what? You must, he says, follow after me. So the idea of following is to be committed to. He says, you've abandoned God to become committed to Baal. And so what really has happened, and what we see throughout the life of Israel in the northern kingdom and also in the southern kingdom, is they would take the worship of Yahweh, and they would take the worship of Baal, and they would blend them together. We call it syncretism. It's the blending of two kind of ways of worship. Uh, the, the people weren't just forsaking Yahweh. Now, now, we were told Ahab did because he abandoned the commandments. You have no other God before me. He abandoned the commandment, no idols. He abandoned the commandment to serve only God. And he abandoned the commandment to never worship Baal, to never bring false gods in. And by doing that, he had blended it with the worship of Yahweh. And we, we do that today. I'll talk about it a little bit more in a little while, but you know, we tend to take different parts of different religions we like and blend them together. A lot of times when I hear people talking and they're talking about their faith, I'm saying like, you're blending Christianity with something else. And that's what they were doing. And here's the thing. We need to realize this. The issue really is syncretism. They worshiped both God and Baal, which means they didn't worship God. God, God says you can't worship me and you can't include something else. To include something else is not to worship at all. And so he said, I'm going to meet on Mount Carmel. And, and now Mount Carmel uh, is actually in the land of the Phoenicians. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. It rises about 1,700 feet in the air. Now, that doesn't seem like much. And where we live in Las Cruces, and we got the Oregon Mountains out here. And, you know, if we walk out to them, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're like 8,000 feet above sea level at the, at the tip. But since we're already about 4,400 feet above sea level, and if you go to the base of them and you look up, you know, it's kind of similar to what you would look at at Mount Carmel. And Mount Carmel was the home of the worship of Baal. It was right on the edge of the Phoenician, the Sidonian kingdom. And so there was a lot of Baal worship there. It was like their home turf. He said, go get the people, get the prophets and bring them. And so verse 20, we pick up, and this is what we see in verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets, that is the prophets of Baal, on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people, any of the Israelites that were there, there weren't all of them there, but a lot of them were there, and he said this, this is a great saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So you have this phrase, how long will you waver, or hesitate, or vacillate, or go back and forth between two opinions? That's what syncretism is. 
having you know, multiple opinions about what should happen. How long are you going to waver, go back and forth? If God, if the Lord is God, if God is, you know, if that's who it is, then worship him. If Yahweh is God, worship God. But if really, if it's Baal, then go worship Baal. And when he's, he's giving them an out, in essence, he said, make up your mind. Decide what you're going to do. You see, here's the thing. They weren't willing to choose who to worship. And the problem was simply this. By refusing to choose between God and Baal, Ahab and the people were choosing Baal anyways. To God, things are black and white. I know as Americans, we don't like things to be black and white. We like gray. You know, we, we always hear, well, that's kind of a gray issue. Or, the, or, you know, that's not really black and white. That's kind of gray. In the eyes of God, when it comes to God and the worship of the Lord, there is no gray area. Gray is the color of sin. It really is. Now, realize that, you know, in, in, in politics, there's some gray areas. Maybe sometimes the way laws are written, especially with the COVID-19 thing, you know, we might look, well, that's a gray area. That's, we're not talking about that, okay? With God, things are black and white. So here's the thing about God. This is so important. God demands all of you, or he has none of you, okay? You can't follow God part-time. No one does. God demands all of you, or he has none of you. So we see this confrontation. The confrontation is followed by, it's the second thing I want you to see, the battle. Because the, 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 the battle that's going to be really on, on, on Mount Carmel is, is just a phenomenal, phenomenal. When I think of Elijah, I, I tend to think of, of John Wayne. You know, there's this iconic figure. And uh, when I think about this, I think, I think about the movie True Grit with John Wayne. You know what I'm talking about? And, and towards the end of the movie, and he's finally got Ned Pepper, and they go down into the valley, and Ned Pepper's played by Robert Duvall. And Robert Duvall, what a great actor. I mean, he's like in all the great movies. He's, you know, he starts off in The Killing Mockingbird. He's Boo. He's in The Godfather. He's in Apocalypse Now. You just go on. These, all these movies that are great movies with Robert Duvall. So they're down there, and John Wayne, you know, tells the rest of Duvall's gang, I don't need you. I'm just Ned Pepper's his character. I want him. And, and Robert Duvall says, that's mighty bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. And as I get older, except for the one eye, I, I get a little bit that more and more. I kind of feel like that John Wayne. I got both eyes, a little on the heavy side, and a lot of more bold talk. And John Wayne takes the reins of his horse in his mouth, takes out his pistol and his rifle, and he goes after him. And of course, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know, there's a big shoot em up scene and all that. Here's Elijah. Only there's not four people, there's 450 prophets of Baal. The prophets of Asherah didn't come. It's one, one against all these guys. It's amazing. And in verse 22 through verse 35, this is kind of what Elijah tells them. He says, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna find out who's God. All right, it's been a drought. We're going to figure it out. So we got two, there's two oxen here. And he says, all you prophets, you take one of, the, one of the oxen, take one of those guys, build your altar. And uh, you begin praying to Baal. I'll give you first shot. You're your home turf. You get first shot. There's more of you. And if fire comes and consumes that ox, then we'll know that Baal's the only God. And they're, all right, they're excited. And so they began doing all this stuff. They, they began their form of worship. And their worship, you know, we know from numerous sources, it's, it's just crazy. They just speak, start speaking these crazy languages. And they're, they're swirling around. And it, they've been doing this from morning till noon. And nothing's happening. And at this time, I love this part, Elijah begins trash-talking them. He does. He's trash-talking them. I, I, you know, having played sports in high school and college, I would trash-talk a little bit. Even today, I'm pretty competitive. If we're doing something, I'm going to trash-talk you. And, and people who say, well, that's not good sportsmanship. Elijah does this. I'm just following the lead of Elijah. 
And by the way, no one's a bigger trash talker than Brian Clayburgh. I've played golf with this guy. You see the worship leader. He's got his little guitar, his skinny jeans on. He's got his poofy hair with all the product. And Oh, he's so sweet. That guy trash talks left and right. I don't know if it's the steroids. I don't know what it is that causes that. So he's trash. You can probably hear him laughing. The staff's here. They're laughing because they all know it's true. He's a trash talker. And Elijah, he's trash talking. Here's what he's saying. He's taking him on. Hey, why don't you do that a little bit more? Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's occupied. That's the discreet way of saying maybe he's in the john, going to the bathroom. You need to get his attention. Maybe he's traveling. You see, in the worship of Baal, this is so important. You manipulated the God. See, the worship of Baal wasn't based on love. You know, Baal didn't love his people. The people didn't love Baal. They manipulated each other. So they start cutting themselves. They take swords and lances, saying, look, Baal, this is how committed you are. We're cutting ourselves. And nothing happens. Because Baal doesn't exist. Then towards the evening, this is going all day, Elijah says, enough, enough, enough. He says, everybody, come here, come here, come here, come here. Everybody, come here. Give me that ox. He takes the ox. He takes 12 boulders and rolls them up to represent the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Then he digs this trench because he's going to put this ox on. He says, let's get water. And they get 12 bucketfuls of water. And they soak this thing because they don't want anybody accusing him of any trickery. And it's, it, it's, the sun is out or it's probably setting. There's no clouds. There's no sign of rain. <laughs> and, 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 and so Elijah takes center stage. In verse 36 and 37, this is what we see. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. This prayer of Elijah is, is it's amazing. I, I was reading through Chronicles this week, and in 1 Chronicles 4, there's the prayer of Jabez. And I remember a few years ago, everybody was doing the prayer of Jabez, and I get it, I get it. Jabez was a godly, godly man. Nice prayer, but if you ever read the prayer of Jabez, it's a pretty selfish prayer. You know, God bless me, keep me from harm, I don't want to feel any pain. That's fine. That's not the prayer of Elijah. I mean, this is the man, Elijah. This is, this is the prophet. And notice his prayer. His prayer is about God. He's not, he's not praying for him, man. And so, first place, this, his prayer deals with the historic God. He says, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, which is Jacob. He's, he's setting the tone. See, Baal was, didn't exist. There was no historic setting for Baal. He said, you spoke to Abraham. You spoke through Isaac. I mean, Israel, Jacob, they're, they're, our, they're our ancestors. They're the leaders of the 12 tribes. Here's this historic God. And not only a historical God, he's a personal God. He says, God, you, you, you're our God. You're the God of your people, Israel. You picked us. I'm your servant. Not only is he a personal God, he's, he's the God who reveals himself. Let him know you have spoken. Let him know you revealed. Then he says this, answer me. God, I want you to speak so they'll know it's you. It's not me. I want you to reveal who you are to these people. 
And not only is he the revealing God, he's the only God. Let them see that you are God, the God, the only, not one of many gods, not a God. You're the God. And he is the God that initiates every spiritual movement in our life. For here's what he says, so that they will turn their hearts back to you. You turn them back to you. Now that's a prayer. That's a prayer. And that is really, from the Christian standpoint, uh, the way it is with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the historical one. He's real. God in the flesh, came into this world, died on the cross, was raised back to life. He's the personal one. He, he comes so that we can have a personal relationship to God. He is the one who reveals God to us. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the Father of one. We know God through Jesus. And he's the only one. Jesus said, I'm the only way to God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. He is the only way to God. And it is Jesus who moves us to God. The Holy Spirit working in our lives, moving us to a place of faith. I mean, this is the prayer. And then in verse 38, we'll see what happens. Here's what happens. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, <laughs> and the wood, and the stones, and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This is, this is amazing. The Lord sent fire. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing in the sky. And evidently, you know, and remember, Baal was supposed to also be the god of lightning, the god of sun, and all that power. Out of nowhere, fire comes, probably lightning. And it not only does it get the ox, it gets the wood, it gets the stone, it gets everything. It's amazing. And the people respond the way we always respond in the presence of God or should. With repentance and faith and worship, they fall down on their knees. Sign of repentance. And say the Lord is God. He and he alone is God. And they worship him there. That's the way we respond to the Lord. Story ends in verse 40 through 46. They take and they kill the, the prophets of Baal. And before you judge them harshly for that, you need to live in that time. Our culture should never judge the morality of a different culture in a different place and time. Any culture that is okay with the slaughtering of unborn children shouldn't have a problem with them going and killing the prophets of Baal. Remember, the prophets of Baal believed that the sacrifice of children was okay. They fit in well today with many of you. They believed that the sacrifice of children was okay. And they were leading the people away from the one true God. And so they took their life. They forfeited their life. And then Elijah went and prayed. Seven times, and the cloud came, and then the rain came. And here's what we know from the battle. You're either committed to God or you're not committed to God. No one serves God part-time. <laughs> Elijah was committed, and he called the people to commitment because God will not allow us to follow him part-time. So the third thing today is I kind of want to come to a conclusion. And in the conclusion, there's just a few things that are so important to see. And I, I could talk for who knows how long about this. But the first thing I want to share with you about the conclusion is this. It's so important. God only accepts our worship and commitment on his terms. It's on his terms. His terms are Jesus. 
We, 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 we spend so much time, I think, trying um, to convince God that we're willing to negotiate our worship and service and commitment to him. And God says, no, let me tell you how it's going to be. Uh, and, and God sends Jesus. I, I've said before, uh, God's way is the only way, and his way is Jesus. I mean, you, you come to faith through Jesus. Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. As a follower of Jesus, there is simply no other way. We live in a time, though, where even within the world of Christianity, and I, yeah, I use the term Christianity loosely, that we have people who want to create their own version of Jesus. It's what I call the designer Jesus. I've used this term before. They want to design their own Jesus, you know? We like to design. Some of you, you know, you, you go home and you have, or you're home, you have this really nice TV set and you have your system and you design your own way of watching television. You have your own channels you want to watch. Or, or you know, you design the way, you, you know, your, the apps on your phone, what phone things, what apps you want. You design your life. You, you kind of create your world for you. Well, God doesn't let us do that with him. This past week, I was uh, doing some research for something coming down the line and I came across a name I hadn't read in over a decade and uh, it was the name of John Shelby Sponge from 1979 to 2000. Sponge was the bishop for the Episcopal Church of Newark, New Jersey. He wasn't just a priest. He wasn't just over a pastor over a church. He was the bishop of a large area. And, and, and Sponge still alive. And he would tell you, he is a, what he calls a liberal Christian. And, and he has rejected every mainstream doctrine of the Christian faith. And I was reminded of all this. He rejects the virgin birth of Jesus. He rejects the resurrection of Jesus. He rejects that Jesus is the only way to God. He rejects that the Gospels accurately reveal who Christ is and the teachings of Paul. And, and he calls for a new understanding of Jesus in and, and the books that he wrote. And I remember as I was reading some of this again, like I remember the first time I read this, and why is he even a Christian? Because he rejects everything that is true. You know, I could, uh, if churches were worshiping right now, I could get in a car, I could take you with me, and we could go to all the churches in our area, and we could spend five minutes um, talking uh, to their pastor. And we could walk out of there in that five minutes, and I could pretty much tell you whether or not they truly worship and serve God through Jesus Christ by the way we're told in, in the Gospels, or have they created their own Jesus. People create their own Jesus all the time. They don't like this, they like that. I, I've run across a person, you know, who, who calls himself a Christian Buddhist. Like, What? I saw someone one time say that they're a Zen Christian. What? You, you, you can't, it doesn't work. They don't fit. You're trying to design your own Jesus. You can't do it. You can't worship him that way. You can't be committed to him that way. He won't let you. He rejects that. God rejects that. Some of you are trying to create your own version of Jesus. I like this part. I don't like that part. I want this, but I don't want that. I like some of this religion over here. I like some of that religion over there. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to mix it all up. Learn this about God. He rejects all of that. See, the only commitment is total commitment. That's it. The only commitment to Christ is total commitment of your life. Here's my life. I'm giving it to you. It's all the time. Say it all the time to you. This is how it is. And it's what Jesus calls. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And some of you, some of us, you know, here's what we do. Hey, you know, Sundays is yours, Jesus. But when I'm at work, that belongs to me because you don't really fit in at work. Or when I go to school, you don't fit in at school. And so we want this partial commitment. Could you imagine uh, 
two people getting married. <laughs> and, and, and say, okay, we're going to get married, but we're only making a partial commitment. Now, the guy says, honey, I'm going I'm to marry you, but I'm only going to be married to you like part of the time. And, and other parts of the time, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I got another woman and, and, and I'm going to be married to her over there. And so I'm going to live with you half the time and someone else half the time. You know, that's not even legal in, in America, at least in most states. Maybe there's one or two that may get you to get away with that. I don't know. But you can't do that. And no woman in her right mind would accept that. They say, no. We don't partially commit. You can't partially commit to God. Commitment is total. Look at your life. Are you totally committed to God through Jesus Christ? Are you totally given to the Lord? Or do you waver back and forth? Because here's the thing. How long will you keep wavering? How long are you going to keep straddling the fence, sort of in, sort of out? Because God demands that you make a choice. God won't put up with that long. Because nobody can follow God part-time. To put it sort of in the vernacular of the current situation we're in, understand this. To God, there are no non-essential people. Isn't that amazing? All of a sudden in our life, we're told some people are essential, some people aren't. Hey, your job's not essential. <laughs> who makes that decision? Probably people who aren't really essential, but I'll let that pass for another day. <laughs> Listen, to God, every one of you are essential. That's why he wants you in relationship to him. And understand, as a follower of Christ... I'm never on lockdown. As a Christian, there's no shelter in place. At no point in my life as a Christian am I to go shelter in place over here. No, I'm always to go boldly out there. Because here's the thing we need to understand. All this social distancing that's going on, well, there's no distancing ourselves from God. And as a follower of Christ, there's no distancing myself from worshiping God and serving God. There's no distancing myself from people who need Jesus. I'm either all in. Or I'm not in at all. Because here's what I know. I can't follow God part time. Some of you today need to look at your life. And you need to quit wavering back and forth between Jesus. You need to commit your life to him. You need to trust him completely. And I know I'm in the Old Testament. And we're not talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. But yet, the truth still stands. And I've preached about Jesus so much lately. I encourage you to give your life to him. I encourage you to trust Jesus. Right now, where you're at, you can say, Jesus, here's my life. I'm renouncing my wavering. I'm giving up all these other crazy ideas. And I may not understand you, but I'm giving my last life to you. And you don't have to understand everything. And you don't have to fix your life today. You don't have to get everything perfect. You just have to give your life to Christ. And some of you, you know, you, you want to be part-time Christians. You've got to cut that out. and You've got to quit saying, I'm going to follow part-time and say, no, it's time to follow full-time. And some of you in your life right now, as already follower of Jesus, you need to say, God, I'm completely giving my life to Christ. I'm committed full-time. In just a moment, when our band is playing, there's going to be a, a phone number. And if you want to talk to one of our pastors right now, and they'll get back with you in just a few moments, within a half hour, uh, text respond to that number. And they'll talk to you about faith. They'll pray with you, whatever you need. If you don't need to talk to a us right now, but you want to talk us sometime, you can just get on our website and respond on the contact page and email us. But here's the thing I want you to understand. When you put this message behind you and you go on about your day, 
Understand this, you can't follow God part-time. So don't. So Father, thank you for Jesus. He came and saved us so that we can have eternal life. And if there's one thing we can learn from Elijah, this phenomenal prophet, is that we can't keep wavering going back and forth. You want all of us, or you have none of us. We can't keep mixing and matching our view with yours. You reject every bit of that. So help us give ourselves to you completely. Help us make a total commitment to Christ. And help us follow Jesus full time. It's in his name we pray. Amen.